This episode of the Check Out This Record podcast is brought to you by GuitarExclusive.com. Visit now for buying guides, reviews, and more. GuitarExclusive.com. Greetings and welcome to the Rock, Rock, Rock and Roll podcast. Check out this record. My name is Mark and with us is not a number. No, he's a Frank Freeman. Dial 666. It's Frankie D. Hey, 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 Mark. Just call me <laughs> Saint Freedom, brother. Ooh. Ooh. Frank and I are so pumped because today we're throwing a huge birthday spectacular for the 40th anniversary of Iron Maiden's masterpiece. But first, you know, your friends have noticed your taste in music has suddenly become the only thing you want to talk about. They keep telling you what a jerk you've come about it. Hell yeah. Telling people the music they like sucks is your right. So tell those friends where they can stick those John Bond fuckboy albums and make sure to tell them, check out this record while they're at it. Remember, we're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and wherever you find the finest of fine podcasts. Heck, we're even on YouTube. That's right. New episodes drip to the drop directly to your ears every Friday. And of course, we like to rip John Bon Corny for your listening pleasure. For the uninitiated, welcome. Here on Check Out This Record, Frank and I go through the albums track by track and tell you what we really think about them. Uh, But that's not all. Oh, no, no. We also have a wide array of musical discussions, like our Spotlight series, where we dig into a band's catalog and see what comes out on the other side. Yep. Or in our verse series, which you just heard for the past two episodes, we pit two albums against each other. And they're going to duke it out for total stereo domination. That was nice, man. You got really high there. I did. I did. Now, if social media is your favorite sin these days, be sure Mm. to check us out on Instagram or my personal hell, Facebook, where we have a group thingamajig where we continue to roast your favorite musical sacred cows. So mark yourself safe from shitty music and give us a like or a follow, or whatever it is you do when you're not watching food porn. (laughs) Don't forget to pop over to the world-famous YouTube and watch us as we make these silly faces and try to put the show together. And, of course, there's exclusive content that's never come out yet, but it's going to come out. (laughs) I definitely don't want to miss it. So make sure you click on the ye ol Mm -hmm. subscribe button. That's right. Uh, It's no secret that Frank and I are a couple of well-aged and ruggedly handsome uh, Mm. punk rockers. Oh, yeah. Don't be fooled. Uh, We both share a taste for the killer riffs, uh, crushing drums, and theatrical vocal performances. For many dudes of our generation, we got into punk rock after a well-established love for heavy metal. Uh, I have a theory on this. Uh, I think... Mm. The fact that metal was more prevalent in the um, quote unquote mainstream, it was easier for young folks to get a hold of and, and serve as a gateway to other subgenres. Frank, uh, we're going to discuss one of my all time favorite heavy metal albums, Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast. Uh, but let's start 
a, a little broader. Do you remember when heavy metal first entered your life and, and what bands were you into and how do you think those bands shaped the way you viewed rock and roll music as a whole? Wow. Great question. So <clears throat> I remember the video from Metallica's one. And mm-hmm. not only did that let me know that this was different than that produced hair metal stuff, but the video also scared the shits right out of me, man. Um, my neighbors would then go ahead and blast their, yes, boom boxes yeah. with, with bands like Megadeth and then mm-hmm. MOD and SOD, which mm-hmm. uh, which were uh, it's just interesting at, you know, eight, nine years old to be listening to. And then, of course, gave way to Anthrax and, of course, bands like Maiden. And honestly, we can't even forget pantera that had a big impact as well um i liked i did like what i considered the upper tier hair metal bands as well mm-hmm. um overall though this made me view rock music in the sense that there was a very satisfying genre out there that exploited and harnessed really my inner anger and i wanted nothing more than to perform these to all the people that i knew to show them hey that this is what i could do even though i may not be like some some socially superior individual so that was like my that was like my big dream right there right uh once punk came into my world it was basically easier to learn and form a band so it was a quick turnaround so you could get those uh, the production faster uh and i think that's how they uh fit into each other um what about you my bestie you know, for me, uh, I really remember uh, music becoming a big part of my life, like right around the age I, or time I turned 12, which would be, you know, the age of 12. Uh, <laughs> I know I'll catch like a, a shit ton of, uh, of shit for this from like heavy metal purists, quote unquote. But th- that's the year Metallica's Black Album came out. And it, it was an absolute gateway drug for me. I, I had been developing a love for what we now know as as classic rock right we're talking about queen aerosmith van halen acdc the doors and of course the beatles but metallica i got into a heavier side of things you know like ozzy and black sabbath megadeth judas priest slayer anthrax and and as you mentioned the mighty pantera yeah it's and to be honest there was some hair metal uh, before I was really able to digest music past its its raw form uh, and give a shit about context, right? Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, one of the most important bands I came to know and love was none other than Iron Fucking Maiden, uh, whose impact on heavy metal gave birth to so many uh, of the amazing bands uh, that I just mentioned and that Frank mentioned. Uh, with their dueling leads, righteous solos, impeccable rhythm sections, and fantastical vocals. Uh, and let's not forget the theatrical stage shows. It's no wonder they continue to sell out arenas a- around the world really to this day. Uh, so with uh, 41 albums under their belt, including 17 studio albums, 13 live albums, four EPs and seven compilations. Uh, There is a ton of history to unpack and could easily be its own podcast with dozens and dozens of episodes. Uh, But since we're here to celebrate Number of the Beasts, uh, 40th, we'll stick uh, to that for now. Yeah, well, let's take the beast. Let's grab those horns, Mark, and take on the beast. There you go. Uh, Released on March 22nd, 1982 Mm -hmm. on EMI Records Limited, we have on vocals, we get the debut of Bruce Dickinson with the band. On lead guitar, we have Dave Murray and Adrian Smith. On bass, we have Steve Harris, who is also the band's primary songwriter, although Dickinson did 
uh, have contributions. He couldn't be credited for them, credited for them for legal reasons. Uh, and on uh, drums, we have Clive Burr, no relation to Clive Barker. Uh, number of, <laughs> sorry, uh, Burr, I, that joke just totally didn't work. It's I thought the Clive thing would be funny. Anyways, um, uh, this would actually, Number of the Beast would be Burr's last record with Iron Maiden. Uh, and he does share uh some songwriting credits as well on this album produced and engineered by a guy named Martin quote unquote farmer Birch, mm. uh, who has one hell of a career as a producer and engineer as well. Frank, check this out. He's got eight iron maiden album credits, wow. right? Both Dio black Sabbath albums, 10 deep purple albums, five Ooh. rainbow albums, six white snakes albums, a partridge in a pear tree, <laughs> a blue oyster cult <laughs> album, right? And add to that, uh, working with Jeff Beck, Peter Green, and Canned Heat and John Lee Hooker. Check this out. Uh, Hooker and Heat, which is uh, the coolest name for a double album. Yeah. Uh, but it's basically John Lee Hooker gets the first LP, and then Canned Heat joins him on wow. the second. And it's the first album uh, for John Lee Hooker to chart to to make it onto the billboard chart so really cool it's a cool blues album if you're looking for you know something on a sunday morning or whenever the mood hits you really cool anyways back to the beast uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm really hyped up frank the album stirs quite a bit of controversy especially the album's cover oh yeah the band's mascot eddie puppeteering the devil himself who was then puppeteering a smaller eddie uh, the band was accused of being Satanist and mm. protests uh, and album burdens happened across the U.S. Uh, what do you think of the cover and the uproar around it? This is 1982, so we're three years away from Tipper Gore and the PMRC. So I'm Ooh. sure I'm sure stuff like this was fuel to their fire, my friend. Mm-hmm. Listen, this is heavy metal. This is the devil's music. And in 2022, there's nothing nothing on this record that would make me or my younger self say yeah i'm going to become a satanist like there's nothing that spews that i went to catholic school in my life and let me tell you something many of my teachers were totally into heavy metal that's right boy Anyways, all right i think it's uh, time to drop the needle and crank the volume way up to 11 that's right my friend a-side track one invaders. invaders folks you're gonna have to deal with me all all episodes so oh yeah buckle in i love the intro we get machine gun like drums and guitars with this killer bass riff filling in the gaps between blasts a quick transition and those dueling leads are off to uh. the races dickinson belts out the worst fears of all old world englishmen a viking invasion Mm. from which there is no hope of survival frank mm. what a hell of a way to open a record what, what do you think of this thunderous opening yeah it's a glorious metal and technically sound beauty of an opener uh we get this power chord intro with the e then to the c then to the d and we'll see uh the e power chord and in other cases the e minor due to its heavy sounding nature really spread throughout this record um take away the riffs <laughs> actually you have a very common sounding punk tune but once those riffs hit the levels it goes all the way up and and on top of that you have dickinson's voice what could just it, it could hit anything at this point so it's a pure masterpiece man mm-hmm. all right track two children of the damned 
uh, very savvy song placement here off that big opener with a classic mid-tempo number that allows the band to explore their heavier tones. It plays so well into the theatrics of the number as we get into this two-minute mark and the transition to this massive solo at breakneck speed, and they just take the song screaming to the end. Frank, how awesome is Children of the Damned? Oh, man. Beautifully played melodic intro with the great with that great solo guitar wise. It's you guessed it again. We got E minor to C to D. So they're all happening. They're all along right for the ride. (laughs) And and I feel like uh, the high fast paced solos is what the song was working to get to. Mm -hmm. And it's epic. It's thematic at the same time. And I mean, we're only at track two. So, oh, yeah, it only gets business. Better and better. Track three, The Prisoner. I tricked you at home, didn't I? You thought I was going to die again. I thought. Uh, thought. So The Prisoner is a tribute to a show of the same name, The Prisoner, from the late 60s. And here's a quote about the song. Uh, Quote, The Prisoner was a favorite of mine. Uh, This is Bruce Dickens, by the way. Uh, The Prisoner was a favorite of mine. Obviously, being a huge fan of the TV series, I always remember the moment where we got Patrick McGuhan, who was the star of The Prisoner and who also wrote the series. And we got his permission to use the opening lines for the series. We phoned him up. He's in Malibu. He's a recluse and you can't normally get in touch with him at all. And we I don't know why he's I mean, like, whatever. It's me reading it. Bruce Dickens is going to sound like the way I would say this. Uh, and we go through. we got through to him on the phone at home. And he said, hello. And we, excuse me, we said, hello, we're a rock band from England and we'd like to use your bit. And he said, what did you say you were called? And we went um, Iron Maiden. And he said, do it and just put the phone down. <laughs> How <laughs> nice. rad is that? That's amazing. Um, yeah. Since I skipped talking about the song itself uh, at all, uh, which totally rules, would, would you tell the folks at home? Yeah. Well, not only the intro. Uh, you know, it would just add so much in the way of of this the visual of this record, uh, as if the album art didn't do that already. But uh, this song just rules. Songs like this, to me, are like little musical pieces that are glued together to make the final product. And I say that in a very positive manner. The intro could have just kept going at that pa- at that particular pace, but then we get a whole new dynamic with this blistering palm muting verse and a very mm-hmm. intricate and melodic chorus. And what about the solo? Right, songs like this really make me think that they perfected the metal solo. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'd argue with you, but you're right. Ah. Uh, track four, 22 Acacia Avenue. Uh, so I found something really interesting while doing research for the album uh, review. And that's, this is actually the second song in a four song series known to diehard fans uh, as Charlotte the Harlot Saga. Did you know mm, that, Frank? Now I do. Yeah, it starts on the band's self-titled album with uh, the track Charlotte the Harlot, the second one being 22 Acacia Avenue. The Mm. third one is Hooks in You from uh, No Prayers for the Dying. And the fourth is From Here to Eternity, or is is From Here to Eternity, from Fear of the Dark. Look, there's a lot of he's and from's and who's and twos. Uh, (laughs) The saga is about the exploits of, well, Charlotte, duh, who was maybe a real prostitute in London, maybe. maybe. Uh, that seems to be part uh, that, that's kind of unclear. There's a few suggestions she's a real person, but they all end with the caveat that Dave uh, Murray, 
who is the primary songwriter here and not Smith. Smith actually said like of the original Charlotte, the harlot that he would be too embarrassed to have ever admitted writing that song. And that it was 100% uh, Murray, but for some reason, Smith and, and Harris have credits on the album. Who knows what that's about? Uh, but Murray uh, likes to tell fibs from time to time. And you can't always be trusted not to fib, especially about something like, Hey, did you know who this prostitute actually was? Right. Anyways, I made a playlist of the tracks and it's kind of fun to hear them play out in order. Uh, definitely plays into the, the sex side of Ooh. rock and roll and heavy metal. You know, 22 Acacia Avenue is my favorite song of that group of, of the Charlotte, the Harlot series. Uh, but I wouldn't spend too much time looking deeper for any kind of meaning that the song may be laying out for you, pun intended. Uh, Frank, your thoughts. Yeah. To me, it's a very interesting track. I mean, musically you get, yes, the E power chord that eventually moves on to the D the C, but I say that because some artists would, that have the same chord progressions in the songs on the same album would make the song sound similar, but not made at all. They do. They do a wonderful job of keeping things different. Um, they're totally making them unique, um, which is great. The topic to me is intriguing because metal, you know, you get the content of well, the lyrical content is usually the devil. It's post apocalyptic dystopian type stuff. It's mythology. It's war. It's sin. You uh-huh. know, the, the, all that other stuff was usually the, the stuff of this is, was usually on the hair metal side, but then we get this, tale really that shows that the metalheads can exude some sex in the songs and, and yeah yeah i think it's pretty cool uh-huh uh time to turn that wax over b-side track five the number of the, the beats. that's right uh the title track time frank we get uh, a real heavy metal opus here opening with a, a reading from revelations if you don't mind i'll, I'll, I'll do that real quick woe mm. to you oh earth and sea for the devil sends the beast with wrath because he knows the time is short. Let he who hath understand and reckon the number of the beast for it is a human number. Its number is 666. Oh, chills. Uh, Only for that killer palm muted electric guitar to just start building up the mood as Dickens lays the foundation of, of just epic proportions. The rest of the band joins in and, one of the most iconic heavy metal songs of all time uh, finds a way to move your head up and down before you ever know it's happening. Frank, mm-hmm. A, yep. how damn cool is this song? <laughs> and B, uh, what do you think of placing it on the top of the B side and not using it as the opener, giving that it is the title track of such a monumental album. Yeah. So this song is badass and really shows us why the band wanted something more in a singer, nothing against Paul Diano, uh, the original singer, but Dickinson is on another level. And a song like this is why they wanted someone with his range. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's not the opening track on the debut record with a new singer. I, I think you need to show everyone that you still intend on maintaining that intensity that they did the first couple tracks. Uh, and down the way on the record, you can enjoy these moments of growth, so to speak. But it's an awesome, awesome tune. Absolutely. Track six. Run for the that's right. You guys know why Frank and I are no longer in a band. Yeah. The first single uh, from the album and notably, notice, yeah. uh, notably, my t- I'm telling you, dude, that pickle is still in there. Mm. Um, mm. And notably, where Dickens had a hand in writing the album, 
uh, but couldn't be credited because of his contract with Samson, his, his former band, uh, another one of the band's most easily recognizable songs, uh, confronting the genocide of Native Americans by English colonists. A really powerful number, uh, the classic galloping dual guitars on full display. And of course, that powerful run for the hills, run for your life chorus is so fucking powerful uh, (laughs) and delivered uh, in just this grand harmony. Frank, uh, you run into the hills, my man. I would, but in South Florida, the only hills are the landfills. It's where the devil lives. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I love, love, love how the intro riff is complimenting Bruce's vocals. Uh, It's a nice change up from the chords. Another tune where the range can only be reached by a naturally gifted vocalist. I mean, if you want to know why I'm teen Van Hagar over Van Lee Roth, this is this is why it's all about vocal range in this type of music. And people could come at me uh, with shit because I don't care. So gang track seven. Gangland. So songwriting credit goes to Steve Harris and drummer Clive Burr on this number for his only writing credit on the album. Although there is apparently a Japanese release of number of the beast that has the song total eclipse, uh, which he was also credited on is actually the B side for run for the Hills. Mm. Um, But anyways, uh, gangland is uh, the second shortest track on the album. And while there isn't anything I don't like about the track. It just feels a tad flat against the rest of this over the top epic of an album. Frank, what do you think? Am I, am I missing something here? I think it's because thus far, everything has just been so amazing. And the shortness of the track actually may do it a disservice as people I'm sure wanted another two to three minutes of soloing um, and, and taking that away. Just perhaps maybe it felt flat against the others. Sure. Okay. So, uh, so maybe I'm right. I, I can't believe this. We're already at the last track of the album. Mm. Track eight. Hallowed be that name. Uh, I love the tolling bell and old world sounding pick, uh, picked guitar. Pickle, pickle. <laughs> Pickled guitar uh, as an opening. Dickens paints uh, the picture of an uh, a man headed to the gallows as the band comes uh, galloping like the four horsemen of the apocalypse riding in over the horizon. Uh, it's all about the mood and imagery here. And Iron Maiden are the masters of this craft. Uh, some controversy here, Frank, I didn't know about. Mm. Uh, this number, uh, part of the lyrics were lifted uh, from a band called Beckett's 1973 song, Life's Shadow. Uh, the website, Ham High, you know, you can trust it when it comes from Ham High, published an article on March 12th, 2008, stating the group's lawyers have agreed that Harris initially used the lyrics as placeholders and did not have time to change them before the album's release. A spokesman uh, for the band states that they settled out of court for pragmatic reasons and to avoid escalating legal fees. Goddamn lawyers will get you every time. Yeah, they will. I compared the songs, Frank. Maidens is way cooler, um, but you got to give credit where it's due. And they did. They settled out of court and this dude got paid. So it is what it is. Frank, does this change how you feel about this totally awesome song? No, it doesn't at all. They're two, first of all, completely different songs musically. Yeah. And, you know, OK, the guy got credit. You know, I mean, listen, you, you take the 59 sound, say, from from Gaslight Anthem, for example, and he quotes many words as a tribute verbatim right and i granted that these were placeholders um and 
this wasn't done as a reference, but these words are also aren't so far out of the ordinary that want that where I'm going to change my view of what made did. So to me, it's all good. They got the credit. There you go, man. Frank, uh, now that we've we've danced with the beast, oh. uh, would you be so kind as to give us your final thoughts on the matter? Yeah. So here we go. Along with the first four Metallica records, this album is what I would give someone to learn about metal. In fact, mm-hmm. it's one I like to put in one of those time capsules. So 30 years from now, someone could take it and listen to it and they would still be amazed because I'm amazed each time I'd listen to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, these epic movie-like songs are brought to us in a heavy-hitting package of aggression and beauty. The musicality is so on point that it will make you literally want to pick up a guitar and, and try to figure out these songs for yourself. Uh, but it's not all loud and noisy rah, 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 stuff because the addition, the addition of Dickinson really catapults the band to the next level. Uh, mm-hmm. Each song really is a gift to our ears and it represents the time, you know, you won't get back. So it's an amazing record. 9.5 out of 10 for me. Nice. Yeah. It's no surprise. I'm giving this a 9.5 out of 10 as well. This is nice. So damn good. My only gripe, is that I would have liked more out of Gangland. Uh, mm, I could say it. It's a serviceable enough song, but it doesn't stack up in comparison to the rest of the album. Sure. I think, though, if you swap Gangland out for that Total Eclipse song, I think we're, we're there's an argument for 10 out of 10 because that yeah. song's pretty badass. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. That said, the record is so well balanced. It ebbs and flows like the scales of justice deciding your fate keeping your ears glued to the speakers. Your head is banging and your lungs are screaming out every word. Uh, And despite this being an album about the devil, Iron Maiden takes you to heavy metal church and lays down the gospel as as only they can. It's a triumph of a record and and needs to be recognized as nothing less. Um, Check out this fucking record, dude. Yeah. So, Mark, is it time for Cookie Puss or Fudgy the Whale Cake or or what? What we got? Uh, or what? Uh, number of the Beast rules, but uh, so do so many other Iron Maiden albums. Frank, let's bang out our top five Iron Maiden albums. Sure. Number five is 1988's Seventh Son of a seventh son. Uh, it's the last maiden album of the eighties and it caps off the decade was much force as it entered in. It's a classic in his own right. Mark with tracks like moon child. Uh, can I play with madness? The evil men do seventh son and only the good die young. Yeah, man. Number four, 1981's killers. Steve Harris's songwriting begins to take on its epic shape on their second album. Well, Paul Diano does his best with Harris's growing arrangements. It's surprising that he's uh, that he <laughs> it's not surprising, excuse me, that that after this album, uh, he's looking for a new job. Um, <laughs> he does a good job, but clearly they're ready for something bigger. If you know what I mean, right? Hindsight, it was definitely the right move. Um, that said, Killers rips, dude. Uh, Murder in Rogue Moreau. I probably said that wrong. I don't care. Uh, Prodigal Son, Wrathchild, Genghis Khan, and of course, the title track, right? Killers! Uh, the stage is set for the epic album that follows. You really listen to that and then number, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. They, they were right They were right there. Yeah. The third one for me is is really a, a 
another personal favorite too is 1986 is somewhere in time uh given that the album mark uh, is bookended by seventh son and power slave uh two amazing records i think people might tend to overlook it because it's not all about the aggression on this record but it's a, a master class in in the guitar um wasted years is one of my favorite tracks and what can i say about alexander the great alexander the great is just incredible very nice. Uh, number two, 1984's Power Slave. Power Come Slave. On. Two Minutes of Midnight, Aces Highs, The Duelist, Back in the Village, and of course, Power Slave itself. It's just an absolute banger of a record. Yeah. Really good. That leaves us number one pick, which of course, obviously, is Number of the Beast. Uh, but you know, you want more Maine to listen to. So be true and do yourself a favor and check out Beast over Hammersmith. Uh, the album was recorded in 82, so it's right when Dickinson joins the band, and you get some of the tracks from the first two records, which is cool to hear him singing it. It will blow your socks, boxers, tidy whities and Fruit of the Looms right off. Oh, man, that's all the underwear I brought. Uh, <laughs> now, we did manage to pick all albums from the 80s, but that's not to say that uh, albums put out in the 90s and 2000s weren't great. However... It's our list, and, and we get to decide what goes on there, so suck Damn it. Damn straight. Uh, that said, Fear of the Dark uh, is my favorite album from the 90s, uh, and Book of Souls takes the 2000s and deserves recognition for, for how hard they rock. Cake, cake time, Mark, or what are you thinking? N- nope, it's, it's game time. You ready? You ready for games? All right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, rock and roll and heavy metal uh, loves its icons, and with uh, that the birth of heavy metal mascots were born. I'll give you a, a brief description of the name, uh, the br- a brief description and the name of the mascot, and you name the band uh, that that mascot represents. Here, here's an example, right? Sure. Always gritting. Eddie has taken many forms over the years, a time traveler to uh, an axe murderer. What band does Eddie the head represent? Oh, you mean, yeah, Eddie is the Iron Maiden mascot, dude. That's right. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's, that's, I was like, right, yeah. you ready for this? Yeah, let's right. do it. Question one. Yep. Rattlehead is meant to represent the, fr- the phrase, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. On whose album can you find him? Well, Rattlehead is uh, Megadeth. That is correct. <clears throat> Good job. Track, uh, track. track question two. number two. Uh, Snaggletooth is meant to be as mean and nasty of a bastard as this band's lead singer. Snaggletooth has taken the shape of everything from a soldier to a snake to a train to a World War II bomber. Name the band. Murderhead. That's correct. Okay. Number three. Uh, in their ability, uh, in their inability to come up with any original ideas of their own, this band uses a nude man with wings named Icarus. Who are these lazy, thieving bastards? Jeez. <laughs> uh, God, I can picture it. He's naked. He's got his wings up. He's got his arms up. Um, it's somebody else's idea. Yeah, I know. Shit. You ready? Yeah, go ahead. It's Led Zeppelin. Oh, <laughs> all right. Duh. 
All right, this one's kind of hard, but I think you might be able to get it. That's what she said. Hey, known as Walt Jabsko, this two-tone dancer struts his stuff across whose albums? Wait, he's a dancer? Two-tone dancer. Okay, two-tone. So we're thinking skeletons type? Is it Danzig? Is it Danzig? No, it's not Danzig. You want one one more little guess at it? Yeah. I'll read it to you one more time. Known as Walt Jabsko, this two-tone dancer struts his stuff across his... That's the key. That's the key. I'm thinking thinking a skeleton black and white, but it's Ah. it's two-tone dancing, skanking, ska, ska, Uh and Uh we're thinking the specials. That's correct. That's correct. All right. Got a little, you know. Yeah. It's a, hey, look, those last two were kind of tricky. Last two yeah. were kind of tricky. Yeah. This one's really stupid. You ready? Oh, all right. The guy known as the guy is typically cloaked, his eyes blazing, and a menacing smile are all you'll ever see of his face. Apparently, in the band's music videos, he defeats evil corporations. What dumbass idea is this? Yeah, I mean, I think we saw him at one of the odd Ozfests in the oh, late wow. uh, the, the late nineties. Disturbed. Yeah, that's right. Is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, his name is <laughs> the guy. Oh yeah. my god, that is stupid. Hey, congratulations! You got four out of five. Woo! Yeah. Oh man, that was awesome. Thanks, Mark. Tell me, old chum. Uh, what are we listening to next week? Well, I'm going to continue us on on a little bit of a of a metal journey. Uh, all right, all right. My my cousin who's a big metalhead kind of suggested a band to me, and I haven't had time to listen to them. But oh. what do I do when that's the case? I suggest it to us, and and we dive into it. So, Mark, we're going to actually check out the Dutch symphonic metal band Epica. Epica. All right. <laughs> Not Attica. Epica. <laughs> All right, what's the album? The album is their sixth studio record, the oh. Quantum Enigma. So this is the one that James Bond was in. Is that what it is? <laughs> Quantum Solace. <laughs> so uh it, it's viewed as one of their better, if not best records. Um, you know, we have 13 songs. Uh, it's a little lengthy, but obviously not everything is, is going to, yeah. you know, you got some interludes and musical pieces and stuff like that. For sure. For sure. Um, the, um, the singer, uh, her, her name is Simone Simmons. She has really a, an interesting range of a voice and a classical musical, uh, training, which aids to then that the heaviness too that, that complements with the other musicians working with her. So what was um, her name? Uh, Simone Simmons. Oh, that's so Dutch. Okay. Yeah, it's so Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, my cousin presented it to me basically, and I'll mm-hmm. touch probably this on the episode, but he's like, listen, he's like, you, it's so, it's such a shame that sometimes the genre of, of music just doesn't get in the forefront because she probably has a better voice than your Taylor Swift's and your Adele's and, and no one will know of her. So, um, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I'll, I'll be voice aside. I'll be interested to see if we like the arrangements, if we like the album. Uh, yep, and, yep. and that's what we're going to do. Yeah, man. I'm curious to see if it'll go uh, E minor C to D. 
Yeah, that's well. Let's see. <laughs> it's gonna be symphonic. I'm interested. This is. Uh, I like that you're pulling something interesting out here, Frank. Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that. All right, cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening and spending awesome time with us. Remember to like, subscribe, rate, review, suggest, and be careful out there. That's right. A, a very happy 40th birthday uh, to you, number of the beast. Yeah. Thank you for for making it to the end of the episode. Uh, say it with me, if you please. Oh my my. Oh hell yes. Oh, uh, bye-bye. Alexander the Great. Oh, woe to you of earth and sea, for the devil <laughs> sends the beast with wrath. I'll, I'll read the whole thing if you want. No, that's my mom singing it now. <laughs> oh, no, Frank. Let he who have understand and reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number.